And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So what is raising capital? You hear all about it and startups are always talking about all the capital that they raise or all the capital they're going to raise, but really like, what is that? And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. And I have got the perfect guest to have that discussion with. But before I tell you who that is, I want to let you know that this episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank, who might be the right episode sponsor to discuss raising capital during. But SVB has been supporting innovative founders, companies, and investors with targeted financial services and expertise for over 35 years. Silicon Valley Bank, they're built for what's next. Learn more at svb.com. Really easy, SVB. So with me today, I've got Ron Shigeta, and Ron is not a first-time guest. And I think last time he was on, I may have touted him as being one of the most credentialed or smartest people. And my wife always says, how'd your podcast go? And I'm often like, well, I talked to someone who has done doctoral training at Princeton University and as a biotech entrepreneur and a co-founder and chief science officer. Well, anyway, Ron, welcome to Startup Hustle. Welcome back. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here again. Well, I, pre I appreciate you coming back and letting me talk about how smart you are. So, um, <laughs> well, yeah. So, and if it helps with your wife or someone, you need to say, Hey, look, you know, this guy was talking about all the, all the, the, the smart stuff I've done, but Ron, you really have. And you're like, you, you are involved in the startup world. You're out in Berkeley, California. Uh, and I'm sure it's warmer there than the snowy terrain I'm looking at here in Kansas city. The day after we lose the Super Bowl, then I need to code outside we're sad and cold in Kansas City I know, today. It was a tough weekend. <laughs> Why don't you let me warm myself up while you let everyone listening reintroduce yourself and give us a little bit about your background? Great. So I, you know, I have a PhD, but actually I was doing sort of regular sciencey stuff as a staff scientist, and I just thought, you know, just like a lot of your guests, I decided I was going to make a change. And I started out being a little bit of an entrepreneur in biotech, and I ended up being an investor for a few years. Uh, I've worked with about 100 startup teams. I've funded over 70% of them. And uh, I just really, like the whole space is exploding and the world is interesting every day. And that's why I get out of bed and it's a lot better than, you know, what I used to do. Um, so, I, you know, I love life and I just and just love being doing what I'm doing and just being here and other places what I get to see. You know, it's great. You know, we, and we had so much fun talking about just stuff last time you were on. But as you mentioned, you know, being involved in in, in, the, in your timeline with 100 different startups and being well, you've been on both sides of the table. And I think that's important 
to have as we begin to have a conversation about what is raising capital. Now, look, don't assume that you know what raising capital is, because until you've done it, there's a lot of stuff to figure out. So we're going to get into the who, what, where, when, why, and how. But first off, maybe we start with who. So like, Ron, who raises capital? Like, who are the who? Yeah, that's a question is sort of like, it kind of depends on who you are. It means a lot of things to different people, right? So if you're, if you're like, have a local business and you're, you want to sort of set up dry cleaning, you might be able to go to the bank and just get a loan to start your business. Uh, but uh, most people talk about venture capital when they're talking about raising capital. And that is for people who have this completely outrageous ambition to make a company that's super valuable. They're going to use technology or some brilliant idea or experience they've had to turn it into uh, basically corporate value. And you can find a whole bunch of investors out there now who want to help you do that. And they're going to sort of invest in you and come along with you for the ride and, and share your journey. And that's, that's sort of what's been the most amazing thing in the past few years. The availability of venture capital is exploding. Uh, and uh, it, the people are scouring the earth looking for great opportunities. And, and you're right on about that. And, you know, I think at one point, a lot of people associated raising capital, oh, you got to be in Silicon Valley or wherever. Like, there's a lot of money flowing into everywhere that's coming out of a lot of the traditional hubs for raising capital. And, and we'll get in, maybe we'll get into that in the where section. But as far as like who, you've got like founders, you have equity holders. Um, whoever has the future mapped out. You've got your, uh, cousin. You've got your cousin who uh, who got a retirement, you know, got his retirement account open. You know, like friends and family are some of the first places that people like to raise money, you know. Um, and that's great because before you really have anything, these are the people who will start you off with five or $10,000 or just, you know, just a, you know, just a hug and, a, and, and living in the garage there while you put together your website or what have you. Um, and then when you actually have something ready to go, then there's lots of places um, pretty much anywhere in the world now where you can sort of reach out and try to let people know, hey, I'm ready to show what I've got. And, and you know, I want to raise some money. I want to raise $500,000 or $200,000 or maybe even more to, to sort of really start turning this into something very real. And uh, so I guess you work with a lot of these people too, Matt, like. This is no strange thing to you. So as as we have such an amazing research team at Startup Hustle now, they've given me a definition of raising capital, which I think mm -hmm. is fair to share. Raising yeah. capital is when an investor or a lender gives a business funds to assist with starting, growing, and managing day-to-day -day operations. Typically, you have two forms. You have equity or you have debt. Right. So let's let would you would you like to take the reins on clarifying those? Sure, let's do that. So um, you know, like I say, banks and lending institutions, or anybody who'll give you a loan with charging interest that you'll pay back over time. You know, that's a debt financing. There's actually several different levels of debt financing, as you can imagine, um, uh, and they depend on how much revenue you have. If your company's raising money, uh, selling things, and making income for it either a business, either uh, something, an object you're selling, a, a product, or you're selling services, those incomes will sort of create a credit record for your business. And so you can usually go to the bank after you've got about six months to a year of revenue like that, that's substantial, and be able to open a line of credit. 
Uh, if you go to someplace like Silicon Valley Bank or Bank of America, uh, when you start, if you've got a decent credit rating, you'll actually get a credit line with a business account. They'll usually make ten, twenty thousand uh, dollars. But those are all those are all debt financings. If the company goes bankrupt, then you know you, you really won't have to pay it back. Uh, but of course, your credit rating will sort of like be they'll reflect be reflecting your credit record. Um, and then you know then there's equity financing. Equity financing is where you're basically taking on a partner. It can be an active partner or a silent partner. The active partner would be like a co-founder or someone who's going to actually literally work in the office with you uh, and really actively put their hands into it and get things going with you. Uh, but the passive partners, they are they have a lot of capital and they want to sort of give some of that to you to have shares of the company. So you can have a 10% investor or a 20% investor. And the terms of that depend upon how how viable people think the company is. And so there's lots of categories there in terms of uh, what kind of terms you get when you do either of these kinds of funding. It just depends on how big you are and how big they think you will be. And that's is uh, completely variable. I mean, there's not like a template. I mean, while there are there are similarities in a lot of deals. I mean, every deal is its uh, own separate deal, and so much of that is you know. So you talk about you, we talked about who. So you you know you have the who and the what, and we're talking about uh, you know equity and debt financing, and then there's actually some weird kind of little hybrid mixes of the two. And I think uh, that you, we kind of sidestep those because you know we don't we could probably talk for hours just about those yeah. things and want to kind of keep things moving but you know overall when it comes to equity financing well e either equity or debt financing have different levels of complexity and availability depending on the industry you're in as well like there are right. like trying like really overwhelmingly the the quote vc or venture capital model is very driven towards enterprise software right now. Um, yeah. And and that's like, you know, so if you have a service business, well, full scale as a service business, you know, and that's, that's right. uh, we, we provide tech services, but we, the same kind of companies that probably hold their bank accounts at Silicon Valley Bank are not doing the same thing we're doing. And where specialty banking ins institutions and, and investors come in is when they're looking for something that's in their lane or in their wheelhouse for, and, and they'll be rarely upfront. You know, they'll say, hey, we don't invest in services businesses or we don't do products or, or different things. Yeah. So they, they all have, they, so, yeah. they need to evaluate and they need to speak from experience when they do that. But yeah, and, you know, yeah. you know, you know what, what I find a very relatable way to understand this, Matt, is Shark Tank. If you like sure. Shark Tank, you know, that's that's almost all equity financing, but you can sort of see how it's changed over the years. Like, you know, just a few years ago, for the first maybe 10 or 15, 10 seasons or so of Shark Tank, they were all local, there were a lot of local businesses. We I remember some watching some like where we're gonna have a party sort of party company, we bring in the, for the you know the birthday party for the kids, we bring in the bounce house. We do all these things, and the stocks will say something like, "Here's two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I want fifty one percent of the company." You know that's that is debt finance. Or that's equity financing. They're going to give you money. They're going to take a certain percentage, and they're going to sort of demand to have their say in certain things because they're a major partner. And that's sort of like uh, those kind of companies in the early Shark Tank. Those were those were sort of local businesses, and they're total value could have been around in the, in the millions of dollars, say, if they finally reached their full potential, you know, 
And so the terms are kind of sharp, like the investors want a big chunk for enough money to get started. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're looking at, you know, they're looking at an upside of several million dollars probably, but there's a lot of risk between here and there. And so that's, you know, that's, that's one kind of deal. But Shark Tank has been turning more and more to, to venture capital sort of mode lately. And um, my startup, Wild Earth, actually was one of the first ones to show up on, on Shark Tank. You know, and it was kind of startling. At the time, it was one of the largest deals ever. Mark Cuban invested half a million dollars for 10% of the company. And I, that may have been the largest deal on Shark Tank in terms of the amount of money that changed hands uh, at the time. But there has been more and more sort of startup type of deals where the, the company has potential to be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And the amount of investment and the percentage that you get for that investment, those, those ratios change a lot. So it kind of depends on the size of your ambition and, and what you're doing and how people, value, how people value it, right? And so, you know, if you want to raise a lot of money and, and make a great company, you, you've put that out early on and people believe in you, uh, you'll get very different terms than if you're opening a dry cleaning place or, uh, you know, you want to open a, you know, a tattoo parlor or whatever else you're interested in. Yeah, and that's the that industry specific, um, you know, like it, any of these. We'll, we can talk a little bit about the where of things. Yeah. So, like, where do you get the money? Uh, in terms of raising capital in the VC landscape, those are um, those are funds, and those are funds that that the the institution or the fund itself, as we could talk about, goes out and they do a separate form of, of raising capital. They are wanting to find uh, high net worth individuals that have an interest in investing in business. Now, look, all these funds are different. Some of they're like, you are a biotech uh, guy and there are biotech funds. There are funds for just about everything in this day and age, but a different form of, of capital raising has to occur before that money is available. So the people that invest in those funds they want to lean on the institution to make the smart decisions and do the work. They provide the capital to be invested. Although in some of those, in some funds, you'll find that they may be anchored or at least started in principle by someone who had uh, a generous portion of cash uh, and then found others that, you know, cash attracts cash. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. So trust you uh, as an investor a little bit more too. Um, that was my first, my first boss investing was uh, for a fund called SOSV and Sean O'Sullivan was the principal there and, it, you know, started almost all, all of the money was originally his and now they've expanded. Um, that's very, that is a good way to get started. You know, the most amazing thing about venture capital is, you know, like you were saying earlier, maybe about 10 years ago, everything was in Silicon Valley. There were like maybe 20 or 30 firms in the whole world that did this. I, I, I actually tried to find out how many venture capital sort of comp, comp firms. That a lot. Work. I think it's over 5,000, Matt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I mean, every, yeah. almost every, you know, every state, almost every country has venture capital firms now, and they fly all over looking for people, for opportunities everywhere. It's really changed. The game has changed completely, hasn't it? Well, and, you know, some, some of that is driven by the fact that, well, and I'm not going to get too deep into the economics of stuff, but while the stock market has been on a bull run for a while, there, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of people with a lot of money that 
uh, they look at an 11% return and they're like, eh, you know, and every, just a lot of people want to be rock stars these days. And the thing is, is the, is the upside for the investor depends on the stage that they come in, the stage they come in at represents different Mm -hmm. levels of risk and a whole lot of other stuff, but there's a, a level of diversification that people are putting out there because, it, well, the the an IPO is great and stock does what it does when it's publicly traded, but the real return is getting in early. That's and right. Going along for the ride. It's well, also you know, also kind of a- also the bumpiest, dirtiest ride that you could pick. Though. It is it is dirty, but you know you're right. That's where all the gains are. And what's happening is that companies are starting out on the public markets, on the stock market, much later. You know, it used to be. You're worth 100, 200 million dollars. You go on to the stock exchange, and then you raise capital on there, and slowly will go to multiple billions of dollars. You know, over 10, 12 years. That's not true. You know, Facebook rolls out. I forget. I think the first week it was 300 billion dollars in value, or 100 billion dollars in value. You know, most of that early upside was taken up in venture capital, and people just, you know, when you have that kind of money, you kind of want to, you kind of want to own that stuff and make that a, a personal deal that you make. And there's less regulation. And so there's a lot more freedom to sort of like help people in different ways and 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 sort of also dictate terms. So a lot of money is moving to venture capital for that reason. Even, you know, even some uh, some pension funds and so forth, they're putting money in venture capital firms. It's not on stock anymore. Yeah. And that's that, you know, now these funds and the people that are investing in them, this is a, a higher level of risk than, I mean, the, 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 institutional investors and people that are running funds and firms that we've had on the show in the past. I mean, they'll flat out tell you they're hoping to be right one out of 10 times. Like that's right. they, they invest in 10 companies expecting nine of them to tank. It's that's the right. one that does it that pays for all of it. And that one will might improve in value. They might yield a hundredfold. You know, actually some of the funds are even better than that. I was, you know, there it's, you know, for the if you're a startup, it doesn't matter who gives you money, really, as long as they're fairly honest about it. Uh, but you know, if you're investing in funds, it makes a big difference who you get in with. Uh, some of the I was actually at a camp, a summer camp for one of the more successful funds in the valley, and the senior partner partner got up early and he said, "The last fund raised ten thousand five hundred percent." It was up. I mean, it was a ten-year fund, but it was a thousand, you know, ten thousand, a hundredfold return, you know. And it's pretty hard to beat that. And that's why there's so many people getting into that game. And that's a good thing for people who are looking for venture investment. You know, if you want equity investment, if you if you understand, you know, what to do and what they want to, what they're looking for, and you can be that. You know, it's 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 great. You can get a lot of help, right? So and we and we and you see a lot of like interesting parallel things coming out. Like, well, another supporter of Startup Hustle is a platform called Our Crowd, who helps accredited investors invest alongside mm-hmm. funds. And you know, That's like, and and some of that is you talk, you mentioned when we said money attracts money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really does. It really does. But there are firms that are really marquee out there that when they put their money into something it's now sent up a signal flare that usually that in almost yeah. every case will bring a tidal wave or a tsunami or whatever of, of additional investment on. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of markers and things out there that, and a lot of interesting opportunities for people to do interesting things. Once again, 
with a high level of risk. Yeah, it is. It's a high level risk. And it's a little like high school over again, because there's popular people and there's different cliques there. And you kind of wish you're hanging out with the cool crowd um, and everybody's trying to get in that. Uh, and it's a lot easier for some people than others. Uh, so unfortunately, like anything, it's about understanding the game and the people and what they want. Uh, it's not super easy either, but, you know, it's rewarding. But there are, you know, nobody, I'm not going to say that this is just, this is not something with a lot of game. You know, you, you know, when there's money, there's also politics and, and, and clicks and all that weird stuff that we used to see. So, uh, uh, you know, it's not all completely perfect, uh, but, uh, you know, everybody's doing something so different. It's really hard for someone to be an expert in whatever comes along. And so uh, it's, it's important to learn how to communicate and understand yourself. Uh, to to sort of like make sure that you get your message across because a lot of people I think they don't they they really don't have as much attention as they could have because they just don't they don't really talk about themselves they don't really understand what's valuable and put it out there uh, that really increases your chances to get some good attention. Well, speaking about things that that a good place to start. What does it say on your shirt right now? This is a this is a Y Combinator. Y Combinator is one of those places you can go and get in and they'll they'll put you in front of a great bunch of investors uh this is their t-shirt make something people want you know if if you don't do that <laughs> it's a good place to start. You know, nobody wants like what you know uh, it's kind of uh it's it's just another good reminder about why we're all here you know it's, it's, it's all about your customer yeah. and we've spent you know matt watson and i tune in on wednesdays on the in 2021 for uh matt watson and i journey spending the year talking about how to start a tech company and you know we're five episodes into that and we haven't even really even started talking about the tech part of the company because there's a really strong foundation like there's just certain things like does your business solve a problem you know and do people value that solution which is making something people want now here's the thing i'm going to argue with your shirt a little bit because yeah. you can make things that people want but they still don't have a high, you have they still might not have a high monetary value. That's true. And and so that's another tricky thing. And you know, so the 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 um, you look at something like Facebook. So Facebook's product is you. It's you and I as users on mm -hmm. Facebook, and they're selling our eyeballs to advertisers, which is something people want exposure and, and whatever. But there's there's a different solution and a different approach and a, and a different value and and product market fit. So Watson and I just recorded an episode about why startups fail. The number one reason is that they don't have a good product market fit, which on which is basically saying they've made something that people don't want or don't find incredibly valuable. Yeah, it's important not to not to see advice like this and say that's everything, right? It's like the first step of a very long, painful journey, right? And but if you don't get that part right, nothing else matters. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you're never done getting good advice uh, and, and learning more about what you're doing. I mean, are you really? I'm sure you guys uh, stand around full scale and talk about this, too. Like, you know, there's always another sort of hill to climb and a new way to sort of like, you know, help your customers. Uh, and uh, certainly, you know, spending four months at Y Combinator may help you raise even several million dollars, but it's not going to solve that problem. That's going to be going on for years and years and years. And you've got to like it. You've got to like digging into yourself and saying, what the hell's wrong here? You know, what, what, could, what can you do now? That's, that's the tough part about it. We don't really talk about it. It's glorious to get investment. But then 
people only want to invest you if you're really going to make that money and turn it into something real. And that's why you're there. And if you lose sight of that, you're going to lose everybody's attention real fast. Ultimately, that's and that it. is e that is easy to do now on your way to raising capital. If you and we're going to talk about, you know, the when uh, here in a second. But when you do, I know that the folks over at Silicon Valley Bank would like you to talk to them about working with you and your race. So the crazy, I've learned so much about Silicon Valley Bank since they uh, started supporting us. Like they, I mean, they, they are the, they're the banking behind 50%, near, roughly 50% of series A, everything, which is crazy. So they, are, they're, they're you know, once, they actually, you know, I know them too. They, they, they came and helped us out at when I was doing my own accelerator, which is indie bios pretty successful. They, they, they smelled that success. They came in, they really helped us. They supported us all kinds of ways. And, uh, and you know, they, they, really they look at, they look at it a little different and we'll talk about some of that in a minute. And just as a reminder, this episode of startup hustle is brought to you by Silicon Valley bank, go to svb.com. They've been helping founders, startups, companies, investors, they, with a lot of stuff. And, and, you know, I've had the privilege of getting to know them. They look at a tech business differently than the bank, than the traditional bank, which is crazy still on many levels. And so many days just still do not seem to understand how tech businesses work. You know, they want to, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's like I could go on and on and on because I'm kind of passionate about this because I don't understand how. A bank like well, you talk. You're an investor, so you own shares in early stage businesses that aren't publicly traded, much like I do. Go down to your local bank and try to get a loan against that, or get them to even recognize it exists. And for those of you not watching the live stream, Ron is shaking his head from side That's to right. side because they don't give a shit. You might. And I'm sitting here going, but, but they care. They care about a. They care about a tractor trailer full of bolts that they'll never sell. Mm -hmm. if they have to repo them because it's just there's a lot of it's so finding a bank that actually understands what the hell you need and how you need it is great so let's talk about the when so and another thing i we're going to squeeze this into the when but you got a valuation mm -hmm. so before you're going to get into things like pre-seed seed series a bridge sidecar series b all of it like what are, what's the, what's the market price? You know, it's a lot, you know, I, I, I think of it as a sliding scale. I can just say it's like, it's like <laughs> old shark tank to new shark tank. <laughs> you know, when you have an idea and it's like no fail piece of genius, little, little piece of heaven fell on my head here. You know, you and the, your co-founders might believe that, but until, but there's a lot of people who buy this and they just don't, you know, they never get around to actually making them real and giving them people at that stage is super risky. And so if you can de-risk, as we say, if you can sort of start to make something that looks real, looks like the seed of something that could actually work uh, and, and show that this is attractive and it kind of works the way you hope it will, that substantially increases your value. And so you've got this decision to make. You know, you might be working, you know, your full-time job and coming home or on the weekends, you know, building something and it's painful. And so you're going to spend a certain amount of time making your your MVP, right? Your um, minimal viable product. And as you start doing this, if if it's the more it works and the closer it is to actually making something, let's say even you start getting users and serving them out some service, you know, for instance, in a web company, then your your value will start just increasing dramatically. And it has nothing to do with how good your idea is. It has everything to do about 
whether or not you're actually going to make something real. That is much more valuable than a brilliant idea. Brilliant ideas, there are so many millions of people out there. They They're come, everywhere. They, yeah. yeah, they come along a lot more than you They're think. They're free. How many do you want? I have a notebook with a new idea almost every day. <laughs> Dude, I, you know, it's really, it's funny you say that because I say the same thing. People like, I have a great, I'm like, great book. idea. I got, I really do. I got a book too, man. I mean, you want million dollar ideas. Those are free. They're everywhere. It's the execution that, it, that trades at a premium. And, and that's, that's part of like, so when we talk about the when, so when you're in this pre-seed, like meaning like you don't have anything like Ron, Ron, you and I, we have an idea. Now we got to find someone to pay for it. So, well, first right. off, the first what a lot of people do, like Watson and I, we started full scale out of our own bank accounts. We didn't we didn't we don't have any investors. We never have. We probably never will. So that's a one way that a lot of people raise capital. It's out of their own bank account. But if you can't do that or you need to get it from somewhere else, you're what you're selling in that earliest of stages is more about you in many cases than it is about your idea. So if you're, and this is going to sound shitty, but if you've never done anything, you don't have any street cred, you don't have a history. And now you're out there going, Hey, look, I'm raising money at you. God, I can't, I don't even want to know how many I'm times you've seen this. Like, it goes even deeper. Got nothing. I've got nothing. I have no history. I haven't done this before, but I've, I'm raising yeah. a four, million dollars i have no revenue i have no we haven't even written a line of code in fact this one pager is as far as this company has gone but i need four million dollars ron yeah am i gonna get it you know uh the answer will be i'll i'll take 98 percent of the company if i really like the idea yeah, right right for, for next to nothing yeah <laughs> and for you know, like here's here's five thousand dollars you know what uh I'm, I'm laughing because in addition to all these other things about being real at that point like some people won't even dress themselves properly and go to do those pitches. Like, you know, you know, people are looking for all these small signals that you really give, you really care. If you don't, if you, if you're not really, because we're not talking about a great idea and a billion dollars, we're talking about ten years of the founders' lives. And if they are gonna, if they're gonna bolt and run when it looks like it's too hard, everything's lost, right? And so. That's, you know, that's what we, that's, the, that's the source of all the risk. Is everybody just going to give up and go home when it gets tough? That's what, that's what people are mostly banking on. They, they really want to meet you and you have to want to see your passion. You got to be clear. passionate because if you don't have passion for it, you're going to quit. Just like Ron was just saying, it's like, it, it, will you bolt and run when this gets hard? If you're not passionate about the company, the solution about all of it. Yeah, you will. I mean, I can, I can almost. I'm not even giving 98% there. I'm saying it's a 99%. Can I have the car? It's like, you're, you're 16. You just got your license. There's no way, you know, that's, that's really, it's really not how smart you are. And people think it is about how smart you are. And if you start making out that, Hey, all I've got is I'm really smart. You know, you'll be sitting by yourself at the table. <laughs> that's, and it's, mysterious. that's, a, that's, that's <laughs> my new one pager. Cause I'm really smart. I, I've dropped out of five colleges, Ron. You let me if I go back, like at one point, I, my notes tell me that your doctoral training at Princeton University studying protein structure and biophysics. All right. So I'm not that that smart. So but there's but, there, but there's a lot of smart people out there. But at, at the same time, like you went to school with a bunch of people that were doing the other stuff, yeah. too. Like, that's not the diff. That's not that's not the primary core differentiator. 
It is not. It, now, maybe if you have unique expertise in something that other people don't have and your idea goes well with that, that becomes a good fit. But you can say technology I mean, that you have a patent that prevents other people from competing with you, that has a certain amount of value. But one of the great things, I'd say one of the things that people don't know about going to the Ivy League is you realize that, you know, there are certain things that doesn't get you. And one of them is being smart enough to deserve deserve money just for being smart. Like that's that's all too common, you know, and uh, that's the main gift as I know that really well. <laughs> you know, uh, you need more than that. So you, you talk about these different stages and with these different stages come varying levels of expectation. Like if you're going to find investors in a pre-seed and these seed rounds, like they're going to want more. Like the risk, that's where the risk is the highest for the investor. So when do you begin to determine, like, like when do you raise money, Ron? Well, I think, uh, you know, at a certain point when you have what you think is a good bi minimal viable product, something that shows that your concept actually can work, it can attract people, it can make sense to customers, you have product to show the investors and they believe in it, then, you know, you can start with a seed round um, and there's, well, at the baseline, there's a bunch of accelerators like Wacom, Wacometer, like IndieBio, there's advisors like me who will sort of jump on early and sort of get to this stage. Uh, but when you get to your seed round, you've got a reasonable, strong indication of a minimal viable product and that you can live. And then you can negotiate for seed round. Um, the one thing people don't, that people often skip over is when you propose your company to attract a good venture capital investment the long-term projection should be worth hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue a year. <laughs> and people kind of skip over that and they don't really understand the magnitude of that number. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's important to sort of put that in there. But if you're showing a valuable company, uh, you can probably raise between two and $8 million now, uh, depending on how good that pitch is and how good that pro projection is. Um, and you would be, you know, uh, should we explain pre-money and post-money valuation here? Um, you know, you say you can give the, so often we give the pre-money valuation to the company. So if I'm raising six on 10, it means that my company's worth $10 million. The investor's going to give me six. And then after that transaction, the company worth $16 million, which means, you know, that you've sold six out of 16% of your company, that fraction, right? So, uh, well, is, let's explain that for a second, because yeah, it's honestly, it. once you think, because I think a lot of people complicate this, because, yeah. and, and by the way, you also don't want to be wrong about this, because you might find that you accidentally sold more for less. Mm -hmm. uh, but basically, with pre and post money, it's like you, Ron's talking about, he's saying t six on 10. Okay, so I'm going to sell 60% of the company. It's got a $10 million valuation. Now, why is it worth 16 after? It's because the fair market value of shares were $10 million. And that company just also now has $6 million in the bank. That's right. And so, we, we actually created more shares. So there's yes. $16 million. The number of shares everybody holds does not change. But we created more shares for these investors to get that. Which tech also technically means you didn't sell 60%. And no, yeah, it it'll it'll six, come out. It'll end up being like fifty five point six or yeah, I don't know. It'll be something weird. It'll it'll and it'll so this is around forty percent. And this is this is known. This is where you're diluting your ownership position, and you hear a lot of stuff like. Uh, the, I think that these things are very overwhelming for people that haven't gotten yeah. into it. I remember the first. I remember the first time I sat in a room full of people and talking about this, and I was sitting there thinking, I was like, shit. 
I got to learn some stuff. And I was actually in Manhattan, like in like New York, Manhattan. And I came out of this one afternoon meeting and I had a whole bunch the next day. And I literally stayed up all night in the hotel because I didn't feel comfortable about my level of like, I, I'm pretty quick with my math, but I wasn't like, I really knew I needed to get it because that isn't where I wanted to mess up the deal. It's actually pretty uh, easy to, to, to realize and understand, but know what you're talking about because pre-money and post-money valuations, they're, they, well, that can be a really big difference. And you got to understand what that means for you because, you know, you can, if you raise more money, it means you're giving up a larger chunk of your company. Uh, and so uh, it's great to have $6 million on the bank, but if you just sold off 40% of the shares, the founders, you know, when you when you have less than 50% of the shares of the company between you and the founders, then you, it, you know, decisions are made by a vote, by shares. And so you will, you, you won't, if you get in a, you know, get in sort of an argument with your investors, they really don't like it. You will, you will actually not be able to make the decision you want. And losing that control is an important thing. And I don't recommend losing it real quick. You know, ideally what you'd like to do is sell off on 20-ish up to 20% of the company in that round, which means you're going to take less money, right? That's that's basically a little over $2 million on a $10 million pre-money valuation, right? Maybe you could get someone, they might offer you four. If you're hot, you'll get oversubscribed. But if you take that money, you are edging yourself closer to losing control of your company. And when people when that happens, just like you were that night, you went to, you, you know, in the hotel room in, in, in Mass in New York, you also want to be prepared for that. What happens when I lose control of the company? How's that going to go? How does someone operate? How does a CEO or a C-suite team, how do they operate under those conditions? And uh, you've got to be prepared for these things before they come up. If, you, if we do that six on 10 deal, you're going to lose your money the next round of investment, probably. You're going to not be able to actually have absolute control of your own company, right? Got to be ready for that. So 20 minutes before we hit record on this, I was actually had a had a friend of mine from high school uh, who had set an appointment with me. He reached out over the weekend and he had some questions about he was starting a starting a business. And mm -hmm. he said, well, what's some advice you can give me? And I said, don't sell away control of your company for pennies on the dollar, because he was just like he was going to get about he's selling about 10 percent ownership. And I said, look, I wouldn't give any control or anything. I said, and he had two different investors, a million dollar valuation, two fifty thousand dollars investors. I said, don't 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 let them tell you to that they want to create a, bo a board and you're immediately outvoted on for people that own 10 percent of the company. And that's mm -hmm. and this is a big thing. So, you know, now. At, at some point, if your business gets big enough, it's going to be bigger than you. You're not going to, you, you, you do have to cede control in some regards because right. there aren't people, people typically aren't going to write you $20 million checks and they just have absolutely no control with it. Yeah. So, you know, but, but that's always a hot, that's always a hot topic. And, and, and that's a, and that's a risk that you take. It's like, some people will tell you, they're like, Hey, if you have the chance to raise the money, do it. Cause you don't know what's going to happen later. It's part but, of growing up, Matt. You know, like yeah. when you when you've learned to you know ha handle the relationships with everybody else on the board and all your investors and make them believe in you without complete control. You know, it's kind of like be it's like becoming an adult all over again. You're managing these relationships through soft power and 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 through just sort of good vibes. You know, uh, but we all have to work up to it. Uh, you know, but I think you know you put your finger on it though. I mean, 
if you really care about the business and it really are, you really have ambitions for it, you should plan on losing control over it at some point. If you're going to go multinational and have $300 million, you're going to need so much money. You're not going to stay in control, but you can still call the shots. Uh, you just have to do it with other people watching. <laughs> kind of like, well, and, left, and, you know, and, but a lot up. of founders, a, a lot of founders, I think you talk about turning into an adult and growing up, you know, and as it, while we, at full scale, while we don't have partners, we talked to a few people about it and they would ask, you know, like I, I've told them straight up. I said, look, if you can ever find someone that's going to do my job better than me, let's put them in. Mm-hmm. Put them mm-hmm. in, coach. You know, and and mm-hmm. uh, that's that's part of that that compromise and maturity and other things. Because uh, you know, one of the things people don't want is a bratty founder that is stubborn. And you know, like I mean, there's so yeah. many. The, the complexity in these deals is actually the humans, not the math and the mechanics. And the, you know, another thing too is is one of the things that uh, that you know, okay, have you ever had, I'm not, this isn't a question to you, but this is a question. Have you ever had $5 million in your bank account? Because (laughs) some people can't handle that shit. They can't. They're just like, you know, that that money comes in and they have a big, oh, we're going to have a launch party and spend half a million bucks or something dumb, you know, and that's, that's part of it too, is like, can you handle it? Have you been, and this goes all the way back to that street cred thing. Like, if you're 22 years old and you haven't done anything yet, and you're like, that's going to come up. It's going to be a discussion of can these can can this guy or this girl or any of these folks, can they handle all of it? You know, Matt, that that's actually one of my sayings that I sometimes say, like, there is no extra bonus for doing this completely by yourself. You know, if you if you can cross the line and go public or have an exit even if like, even if other people were sort of like dr- pulling you over the line in a stretcher, like that's, that's as good as anything else. You know I mean? It, these things just barely happen. And the important thing is to sort of like be the kind of person, optimize yourself to maximize the chances of you actually getting across the finish line. Nothing else matters. Nobody's going to say like, oh my God, and he didn't need any advice. And like, I, I've never heard, who ever heard about that for anybody? Like nobody, Nobody says that, you know, who cares, right? You know how, you know how over, um, over, so like out of control, these things can be, you know, I was listening to a, a podcast about PayPal, you know, and they've got, you've got Max Levchin, you've got like Reed Hoffman, uh, you know, Elon Musk, you've got these giants, right, of, of, of industry now. And it was their first success. They sold eBay, they sold PayPal to eBay for $1.6 billion. And then in the pad, podcast, like the, the, the primary three founders, except for Musk, who is sort of like in his own pool. They say like, and those three people walked away with $100 million. That means that they were holding like 8% of the shares of eBay when it sold. You know, that's how much they were over leveraged. Uh, And then they went and took that money and they did some spectacular things with it. But you got to understand that like they really, they were just focused on just getting it done. And they did. And that's why they're successful. Not because... uh, for really for no other reason. Well, eight eight percent of something that's worth one point six billion dollars is a lot more than fifty eight percent of something that's worth ten million. Or nothing. <laughs> or nothing. That's right. 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 People don't. It's funny yeah. people don't do that math. You know. I think. You know. One thing I'll, I'll just tell you. Like, it's funny. Investors never want to upset you, so they'll never tell you what they're really thinking. But I will tell you. 
and I think they'll appreciate it because they want someone else to tell you. But you know, to to the startup people, you know, if people are looking at you, the the one thing they want from you personally is called coachability. That doesn't mean that you're going to knuckle under and take whatever advice and kowtow to anybody. They want people to stand on their own, but they also want someone who will listen to everything, think it over, and take the best course given that information. If you are not susceptible to influence, you you drop in the ranks of severely. And in my book too, I don't want to work with someone who thinks they know better than everybody they meet. I don't feel like people have to take my advice, but you know, by and large, but it's listen to it. Just take it in. That's why I said no one wants it. Like investors don't want a bratty founder. And that goes in that same regard. Like, look, there are so many people out there looking for investment. There are so many opportunities out there. You can get in your own way in a hurry with your shitty attitude or your closed mindedness or just something goofy. You know, and I've seen it occur. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I've seen. Well, I mean, I've had people pitch me or us on stuff and I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, yeah, okay. Cause look, choose your investors wisely. Like you said earlier, you, okay. You can kind of take money from anyone that depends on the, on the circumstance, but man, there's so much going on out there. There's so many amazing people that are awesome to work with that. I don't know, man, I, I turned 46 this year. I'm kind of at the point right now where like, I would rather just not even have you as a client or, at, or be an investor in your company or any of that. If you suck to work with, or you're a pain in the ass. Cause yeah, I got better things to do, man. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a hidden charge in the relationship. It's like now I got to charge you double, you know. Uh, and you don't really want to be like. I mean, you can succeed like that, but it, really, if you're if you're smart, you understand it's not helping you. And if you can wake up to that, you know, you're going to cut years off your time to exit, and people will like you, and you'll have friends, which are all, you know, beyond the money. That's maybe even more valuable if you think about it. And you can have both, so why not, you know? Well, people, and these, these places aren't writing $5 million, $10 million, $50 million checks to you because they don't want you to succeed. And, you know, it's like, it's a, one of the things. So, Ron, is, v, is venture capital bad? You know, um, it, you know, it's sometimes. <laughs> you know, I think I, that was a little bit of a trick question because it depends who you ask, but right. I mean, I feel, you know, I'm, I'm going to be really honest. Like, venture capital is uh, on the bad side, venture capital is the big money moving out of the public markets, not investing with the public to close private deals, to soak up early, early gains super fast. And the rich people get richer. The good side about it and what, you know- But is I'm, it bad for my company and me as a founder? I, you know, I don't think so, unless you don't need the money. And if you don't need the money though, it's your fault for taking it. <laughs> I mean, I-, right, I do By the way, what, what, one way to end your pitch really quickly is to say, I don't need this money right now. Just let me know. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's also, I'm too valuable for this, which is like, well, you know, I'll be this, you know, the venture capitalist thing. The investment- said that once, oh, I said that once. <laughs> there's so many ways to be rude too. Um, Experience, uh, yeah. But, you know, I think that the good side about venture capital is that it creates opportunity for anybody. If you have nothing but a strong work ethic and you really, really have a strong conviction and you've built some skills on your own, you can still succeed. And these people are willing to let you do it. And that is, you know, I, the one thing I really, really enjoyed about my job is it creates social and economic mobility in a very direct way. You know, some people... I'm not going to name names, but some people I met six years ago 
They're worth a couple hundred million dollars now. And that's not something you would have thought by looking at them at the time, or maybe even now. <laughs> but, you know, like, and I, I'm proud of them for, for making that happen, you know, and they're making movements behind their products that are changing the world at the same time. I know that's a really trite thing to say, and a lot of people say it, but some amazing innovations, new ideas coming through. And then the people who thought of what thought of these ideas and they made it real, they get credit for it. If they were working at, you know, as a researcher in a, in a big company, they would be handing that profit and all that gain over to a large company and they would get, you know, a pat on the back. Here's a thousand dollar bonus check. Now I've been there, you know, and uh, you can do that. And there's some reasons to do that, but I think having that opportunity is a good thing, you know, and I hope that people will take advantage of it. So before we move on to the why, the, the reasons yeah. why people raise capital and the how, uh, another quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, and you can go to svb.com to visit their site, has been supporting innovative founders, companies, and investors with targeted financial services and expertise for over 35 years. Silicon Valley Bank is built for what's next. Learn more at svb.com. So look, everyone wants to know the why, baby. There's a lot of reasons why people raise capital. I mean, and you know, this is that I, I, I strategically asked you if it was bad because I think a lot of people, I, I mean, gosh, I've talked to a ton of people like, yeah, but I don't want venture capital. That's bad. I'm, and I, I'm like, explain to me how, like, why yeah. wouldn't you want well-resourced, like important, powerful, influential, p- experienced people helping you get rich yeah and i think well you know let's talk about there are sometimes it's bad let's talk about that and that kind of eliminates when it's when it's not right it's when like you actually it's what you said before when you really don't need the money if you can if you have the resources right now to get yourself to the next level without taking capital you can do without diluting yourself and so that is you know but if you can use the resources Right. You're going to let's say you're going to sell off 25 percent of the company to take capital, which is a typical round. And the rule of thumb is that will get you about 18 months of run rate. You know, you'll be able to run uh, run with your company on all its employees for 18 months or so on that. You know, during the 18 months, if you're going to produce something that substantially increases the value of the company, I'm not talking about 25 percent. That's a wash. You the company, if the company increases in value five to six times for that money. That makes total sense. You know, I sold 25, but I'm five times more valuable, right? That's a, you know, that's a 475% increase in, you know, that just those numbers will tell you sort of like what, you know, when to make value decisions, right? And venture capital can enable super quick growth. We're in a time when a lot of people are starting their own companies. If you're sitting on an idea that's really great, if you sit there with that idea, you can just watch the internet go by. And within a year, you probably will see someone talking about this idea as their company, you know? And so you do need to move fast now, especially if you're talking about, you know, the web or phones uh, or even biotech and food, you really need to get out there. And so all of these things will make things possible that were really impossible otherwise. That's when the capital is the most valuable. Yeah, well, and and that's the working capital to get to that level. And that's the thing that you, you know, when you go into that, it's, I often just call it hyper growth. 
Mm -hmm. The thing is, 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 all right, so FullScale did that for us. We had 100 employees in a year, 200 coming up on two years. Honestly, if it wasn't for COVID, I'd probably have 400 employees right now. But the problem that comes with that is when we started hiring like 30 people a month, and all of a sudden we had to buy 30 laptops, 30 desks, 30 chairs, it's $100,000 to start Mm -hmm. 30 people that haven't even showed up and earned a dollar for the company yet. And then you have other things too. So where are they going to work? Oh shit, we need another floor of a building. And you, uh, well, how are we going to handle all these accounts? How are we going to handle all this? We've got to hire some people, but that's not going to happen quickly. We got to get them trained. And it's being able, the capital and in uh, this hyper growth periods are exist. For, a for you to safely fail in a few spots take a couple chances like because look these are very inexact things like anytime you get people involved there's a zillion variables that come up like you don't you hire the wrong people or you can't find them at all or like well the reason our business grew so quickly is there's four hundred thousand open it jobs in the u.s that we don't have people to do the work so people were looking for that but we still had to find the right people on the other in, in the philippines and all these different things so the cash component like once you figure out the formula you're like if i have a million dollars i can turn it into five now if you got that formula raise away because because right. otherwise you have chicken and egg problems you have to sit there you have to earn the money oh god forbid we have to earn the money ron what is going to happen if we have to actually earn the money at our business? Oh, God forbid. But well, that's, but I, I say that jokingly because because if you sit if you sit around and wait, well, someone else that has the capital, they have, they have the capital, they have the jet fuel, they have all. Yeah. They go, they go, they go past you. You know, I know that I noticed I saw you on, uh, I saw you on Clubhouse, man. You know, you think about it. Oh, no. Isn't that amazing? I mean, here's now, a company that is exploding. They, they have nine. They have nine employees. It's a billion dollar company, though. I know, with nine employees. You know, they had to. I mean, when they when they exploded, they had to be ready. They had to be ready to just like open up a ton of servers at a moment's notice. And they had to have the engine. They probably, I'm sure, they contracted engineers to come along and and make sure that the system's robust enough not to collapse. You know, they had to have a lot of cap in a short period of time. That's an existential moment for them because Clubhouse wouldn't exist if people come and they find something that doesn't work. They're never coming back, you know. That so a lot some of these companies and these startups they are structured to be they they have an existential need for capital. They have to have a few million dollars sitting around for those moments that they're planning on sort of creating. And so it, they're it, they're, defi- they're defining discipline in many regards too, because that is all of a sudden you see everyone talking about it. Everyone wants an invite. They're literally tapping the brakes. We did it at full scale too. I'm not going to say we're a billion dollar company, but we literally at certain times it just had to stop. We're like, okay, we're just going to have to have a waiting list because yep. we would gr- if you grow to you can go out of business and you can grow out of business. So like Clubhouse, they've kept it lean and they only it's only an iOS app which I, you know, which has a lot of people bitching. They're like, oh, I can't use this on my Android device. They're getting really, really good at one thing and making sure they can handle it. Why wouldn't you let more users in? But because maybe we can't handle it because the, well, Elon Musk was in there last week. They gotta be, they gotta know, they gotta know that that platform's not gonna take a shit while he's on air. That's right. I haven't walked into it. I have not walked into a room where the audio didn't work, you know? 
that that beats all the other conferencing systems. You know, uh, it's it's it pays to focus. But even so, I'm sure they spent more than a million dollars the past couple of months just spinning up instances. You know, just making sure the network's working. There, I sent an invite to a friend in Taiwan. After that, you know, Asia started to explode about that time. You know, there's they need they need to be in Asia. You know, uh, you can't you can't run that from the United States. So. Uh, yeah, there are certain reasons where you really can't do without venture capital uh, unless you've got quarter million dollars sticking around or a million dollars that you don't you can afford to lose to put into it yourself. And and, and like yeah, I said, and, and keep and keep in mind too, that's a platform with no revenue. I, I know. I know. I mean, it doesn't cost anything to join it or to be on it or to do any of that. So like you getting getting you past that. Uh, uh, all right, if you watch the movie The Social Network the you know and and whether you love or hate facebook or zuckerberg or whomever you know early in it you know you had eduardo his business partner it's like we got to sell ads man we got to monetize this and he's like no man it's too early like we want this to be cool before anything else and that's and that's by the way that's like a uh uh well it's not a, it's not a super feasible approach it's a weird silicon valley approach and like even the show silicon valley you got that one investor russ hanneman and it's like you have a richard saying well we got it monetized he's like no we don't want users why would we want revenue how are we going to raise all this money if we like it can't become real at some point it does have to become real but you look at some certain things like i can as someone who's a promoter and a kind of a hype man at my own stuff I like what Clubhouse did. I love exclusivity. I was a ticket broker for eight years. I mm -hmm. understand exclusivity and the value of leaving some people out on the street, man. Because they, what happens is, and like you look at, I'm talking about like, say a concert, you want to leave people out on the street because they buy tickets faster. They don't wait to just walk up. If you think you can always walk up and buy them at the box office, why the hell do you buy them three months early? The problem is, is, there's a lot of things that can happen on the day of the show. It could rain, it could snow, you could have a bad day, you could be tired, your dog chewed your pillow up, you know, like, and there's a whole lot of different things. But one thing that Clubhouse is, oh my God, there are promos everywhere and they aren't paying, haven't paid a dime for it. Like nope. it is Everybody's literally like probably the favorite rooms and what happened. And uh, it's a, yeah, it's an amazing, you know, they, it's, it's a perfectly designed product. It's viral by itself, you know, can't really do better than that. Um, and, you know, I think they've got great places to go, but that's a perfect, you know, that's a perfect Silicon Valley type of strategy, right? You know, they, the investors are kind of structured for a company like Clubhouse because they don't want Clubhouse to like become financially independent of them right now. They want to actually have these multiple stages where you've got this 5X, 10X growth over a year in value, and then they can put in and buy another 20%. They'll continue to sort of partake, partake of this and the clubhouse founders, it's a win-win. They're going to keep going on, uh, and 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 they're going to create more value for themselves at the same time. That's what kind of you kind of want to have five or six years, where they're basically the the plan is to run on venture capital money, and the company's exploding at the same time. That's like that is like the perfect scenario for VC. Uh, and uh, yeah, and it's well, and for founders as well, though, because like you mentioned, yeah. we don't have to get too, we don't have to nerd out too much on the math, but. If they're so they're reportedly about to raise money at, at a B, but mm -hmm. that yeah. if they're going to be a twenty billion dollar company, well, that's a pretty big return if you're hanging on to your own share. So, and by the way, I want to say something to anybody that's thinking about raising capital: you mm -hmm. never know if you were right or you were wrong until way down the road. 
That's right. And then, and then you got to kind of jump and build wings. What, what feels good, what seems right. And like, like there's no, you do not get a game time grade. Well, you can, you can give yourself one, but nobody knows until way down the road. That's why, that's why it's so exciting. <laughs> well, right. I, I dig it. Yeah. I think it's it has nothing to do with the money. Uh, yeah. we've, we were talking, we, one of the, one of the episodes in our, how to start a tech series. And once again, check that out. That's Matt Watson and I, every Wednesdays on uh, the startup hustle podcast, but you know, we were talking about the traits of a startup uh, of a, a, you know, a successful startup founder. And one of the things I said, it's, it's almost a little bit of riverboat gambler, you know, it's like, I mean, you, and that's, and you got to kind of bridge the gap between like, uh, uh, what, what do you call it? Like, I can't remember the, the word for someone that has a gambling problem oh, <laughs> in a riverboat gambler. They're a little different. You got to be ready to like see that and make it. It's a money. Yeah. There's an, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, at the same time, you can't be so, you can't be such a gambler that you're never going to leave the table because eventually you got to cash the chips in, um, or not. So, I mean, all right. Advantage because they make a lot of investments, and as a founder, you have yours. But that's another another symmetry, uh, you know, synergistic sort of thing where you know the founders are going to work harder that way, and that'll improve the risks for everybody. So once again, with me today, Ron Shigeta, super entrepreneur, investor, advisor. Ron, you do a lot of stuff. I don't even know how to describe you without doing an episode that just says "Meet Ron Shigeta." Um, so, and, and that's why I love talking to you, man, because it's such a well-rounded approach. We would be remiss if we did this whole episode and we didn't give a couple how, um, you know, like I, I think that, the, and I think that's pretty easy because I think that there's a few simple things. Would you like to start? Like what are the best way to how to go about raising capital? Yeah, I think, uh, I think the most <laughs> important thing is to actually have something that people want that you, you've built a company the investors want to invest in. And the other how is you have to learn how to tell people about it so that they understand it. <laughs> those are those are the fundamentals. If you have those two, everything else is kind of, I, I can't think of anything that you have to have. There, There's a lot of important things to have, but if you don't have those, you're really not going to, it's really not going to make it anywhere. Yeah, I, mean, I wanted to start my how with saying, the, similar to what you just said, is have a simple, clear message about not, not only like the problem that you're solving. I think the thing that people make mistakes on is they go into a pitch or they do any of it and they're just talking about features and no one gives a shit about features. What the, it's the benefits that the, the, that the features. So I always say How FAB. Add up into revenue. How's it going to add right. to right. success by your right. definition? What is your definition? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I say FAB. So you have features, but you never should be talking about that without talking about the advantages and the benefits. Mm -hmm. And and the, and those like and that doesn't just apply to your users. It also applies. It, it, well, what are the what are the what are the advantages of you investing in my business? Yep. And you know, why, actually, why am I the bet to make? You know, but even you know, sometimes you know, sometimes those features are really mysterious. Like. One of the reasons Dropbox is so successful is not because their service is super reliable, they have strong value, but one of the reasons Dropbox is so big is because they used almost the same invite system that Clubhouse is using now. Do you remember that? I don't know if you ever, I, I'm a, I use Dropbox, and uh, early on, they say, oh, we'll give you an extra gigabyte if you're first somebody who jumps on the Dropbox. If you invite, if you invite four and people. And, and, I got like three gigabytes that way. 
and they got viral advertising and storage costs nothing, right? So, uh, you know, sometimes those features are not what you think they are. And it's well, and, 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 well I, I mean, I, I've told this story a bunch when it came to Gigabook because, and that's why I was in Manhattan. I was talking to some people about, about that. And, you know, the thing was, is, is while oh, it takes appointments online, it does this blah, blah, blah. Okay, you know what the real benefit it was? Is it gave our users peace of mind. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. one less thing to do. They could be providing services for their clients and not be going crazy about the phone call they missed, the phone call they had to return, or those phone calls coming in at 11.30 at night. Oh, and geez, you just heard a way to make a pitch. Like, that's the pitch for Gigabyte. I mean, it, it's not it about- It gives you peace of mind. It unchanged you from software. your business. My, my cousin can write software, you know, like in, he was, you know, he doesn't write software anybody ever sees, you know, but it's not the software. It's not the technical prowess. It's not how smart you are. I just, I know we said it before. Let's say it again. It's, it's what you do with those smarts and how does that work? That's, that's, that's what you are to an investor. Yeah. I have another how uh, thing that, that I heard. So a couple of years ago, I was at the Kansas city, uh, tech council's founders retreat or CEO retreat. And mm -hmm. I was, I was listening to a panel of, well, one of them was Sandy Kemper, who's the founder and CEO of C2FO, who says, don't be afraid to sell people on your big vision. That's right. And, and that's the key is like too many people come in and they're like, well, you know, if we only get a million here, then maybe we'll be a $10 million company. That's a, that's a yawner. They don't want at the VC that. table. That's a yawner. That's a I next money and pass or instead of investing in yeah. you. Right. Yeah. So have a big, you know, have a big vision and don't be afraid to sell people on it. Cause you're sitting there try, talking about how you're going to make a billion dollar company. If you don't believe you will, why would they? And you know, people are, people kind of think mm. that they're not ready for something and they hold back. I, I think, you know, Everything's very experiential. You've got to just sort of dive in and, and be a maker and try something new every day. And you're going to learn by making little mistakes and big mistakes. You know, I think you have to you have to learn about your product. Sometimes you have to ship it out there before it's ready, withdraw it, rebrand it, and ship it out again. You know, whatever you have to do to really learn how this actually works. Almost, I mean, most of this advice is not for people like you and me, Matt. It's for people who are first-time founders. And you have to have that experience. You can do it with this project or the next project. But you have to be ready to fast prototype something, get it out there and test it. If you can't, uh, no one will know. You'll never know really what's going on. Yeah, and I think the final how that I've got before we go to the Founders Freestyle and end this episode, which Ron, we, I'm glad you, you realized that we have never stayed within the normal time constraints of Startup Hustle episodes. So Ron told me before, he goes, yeah, but last time we talked for like an hour and 15 minutes, so I didn't schedule anything after that. I did the same. So, <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the, when it comes to the how, is, you know, I, I am going to go back to this thing I've said so much. Tell your investor, tell those that you're investing how you're going to be great at one thing. Because one, th one thing they don't want to hear is how their investment's going to go seven different directions. And you're not really great at one thing yet. Like, be, oh, be, I, yeah. it, I have a trick because it, it confuses people. Like, just before you said, let's... Don't forget to sell the vision, which is very expansive. And then you also want to say you don't do, you know, do everything. And those are both true at the same time. And how it's true is this. 
the first word that we use is focus. So I'm going to do this in the next two years. I'm doing this. And it's very clear to me what we're doing. The result several years down the pike will be this vision. You can separate them in time. A lot of people just try to get to the focus part is what you're saying. And they don't get out. They don't talk about the long-term value of the company. You kind of need to show both ends of the process now and then. If you do that, you can get that message across without contradicting yourself. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's the thing is like, is if, well, I've just run into this a lot. I think the biggest mistake that founders make is trying to be good at six things before they're good at one. And yeah. Um, and that, that is that focus thing. So it doesn't mean you, you have to shelve the rest of your dreams for what you're building, but it's so much easier to, I tell people that once you have fire, it's easier to make more fire. It's the same kind of thing. Like once you get like, what's the, the that's why you build an MVP. It's just simple. That's why you build an MVP and investors are just very wary to put money into things that sound like a, a, a just sound like a money pit. You're like, so what do you do exactly? Because you're telling me six things. What are you, where are you going to be aces? So, all right. So we, end, I end my episodes of Startup Hustle with what I call the Founders Freestyle. I say my episodes because I'm not the only host of Startup Hustle. And the Startup Hustle podcast is not the only form of Startup Hustle. We have a TV show now, which yeah. you can find on YouTube. It's a lot of fun. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, also check out, uh, Andrew Morgan's episodes on Tuesdays about Amazon and e-commerce and join Innovate Her founder, Lauren Conaway, on Thursdays to, to talk about a lot of different kinds of stuff. Just go listen, check it out. Just believe me. It's not, it's a big listeners in 177 countries in 2020. We can't be that bad, can we? So we end start apostle with the founders freestyle ron what what are your closing remarks what would you like to tell the founders of the world about this very vast and broad subject i think you know i think that i think i'm going to just land on what we just talked about you know get started you know everything should be should be a practice of daily doing something and everybody from gary v all the way to to, to me say this but i don't think people really understand what that means it just you 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 basically show everything you're thinking, if you can translate your thoughts into some form of reality, even if it's very small, you know, you'll be a master in no time. It will not take long for you to get where you want to go, but you got to, you got to be persistent. Yeah. I think there's two things. One that we didn't mention is that raising capital is a full-time job. So expect mm -hmm. that and you get ready for a lot of reps. That's right. I mean, you're, you're, I, I, I don't know if I know anyone who has just gone and given one pitch and they're like, boom, done. Okay. Corollary you know, that. So you get a lot of no's. I mean, the, the corollary of that is your pitch sucks, right? You're not going to be good until you've raised money. You don't know that your pitch is good. And so you just have to keep going until you get that. Yes. By definition, no matter how good you feel about yourself, that's fine. You should feel good about yourself. You've been working hard but you should never be satisfied with what you're doing until you land it. And you got to be okay reps. with it. <laughs> Lots of reps. Yeah, I mean, that's, and yeah. And I think the last thing I want to say is, um, you know, don't assume that you're going to get meetings, but when you do take them seriously, like you mentioned, like some people won't even like dress themselves properly or whatever. Like, uh, you're usually going to, I think it's a fair assumption that you're almost always talking to type A individuals. Uh, if you go in to raise money, you need to be, you need to get to the point, do it quickly, 
get it's okay to get down to the bottom line they don't want to hear 40 minutes about your features and shit like that like keep it short or you're going to lose their attention and you know there's a lot of people with a lot of opportunities you don't need to show up with an 80 page business plan if you can't fit your idea and what you do on the front of one piece of paper you've made it too complex you haven't simplified it enough like for me i just want to see your one pager I want to hear what you have to say, 10 minutes or less. And if I'm interested in hearing or seeing more, then I'll ask for it. Right. Actually, it should fit in your brain much less. than You know, if you can't spit it out there without referring to a piece of paper or a slide, you you don't really care enough. That's how I, we, we do. My brain's like the size of a post-it note, so (laughs) it's okay. I can't even get a full piece of paper out of it. Five words. Yeah. You know, let's go. Right. Uh, You're talking to me. Ron. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Ron, thanks for joining me for another great episode about this. If you guys want to check out more stuff that Ron does, check out the links in the show notes. Make sure you go watch Startup Hustle TV. We'd love to have your support, your comments, and your subscribes. So I'll see you around. See you, Ron. Thanks. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.